It is a good day to be in church. All right, good. Awesome. Glad I'm not the only one who believes that today. Man, we are starting an incredible new series, but let me welcome those of you who are watching online, you know, or in overflow, or our newest campus, not our newest campus, one of our older campuses that is back live with us for the first time today. Can we give a good welcome to our Branchville guys? Man, we're so glad to have you guys back in there with Joe. Every one of those leaders does an amazing job, man. We are so proud of you guys, and we are so excited to be starting this new series with you entitled, When Pigs Fly. Now, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe this is something you've heard, and it's a little sarcastic in tone when people say, it, oh, that, that'll happen when pigs fly, and, you know, maybe, maybe you're like me, and you get in these situations where, you know, it would really take a pig flying for it to happen, um, in my case, I love babies. Do we have any person in here who loves babies? Yes. I love having babies, okay, but I don't actually have babies. My wife has the babies. So both of my boys were born at nearly 10 pounds. One was over 10 pounds. One was just short of 10 pounds, 23 inches. And so I always wanted to have more kids, okay? Uh, now, my wife will tell you, okay, because I'll still ask even today, and we're well into our 40s and probably shouldn't procreate or have any more children at this point, but she'll be like, you are not getting another kid out of me. <laughs> it is going to take a pig to fly. You know, I am scared to death of flying or skydiving, and I fly all the time, okay, but I'm scared to death of skydiving, if somebody were to be like, hey, you have to skydive in order to, like, get this or do this, it's not happening, okay? Like, legit, you have a better chance of pigs flying than me willingly throwing myself out of an airplane, okay? I barely get on the airplane to get <laughs> to begin with, you know? So we have this notion of, you know, it would take a miracle to make these things happen. You know, it would take a miracle for Dave. Some of you know uh, my colleague, Dave, one of the pastors here, in order for him not to smile while he's yelling at you. We don't know what it is about Dave, whether it's a nervous tick, but he just smiles when he's angry. So, you know, I, I need to check with his wife because I'm not sure he does this at home, but I know that at work, he's like, I'm like, are you angry? We're really confused. So Dave will stop smiling when pigs fly. He's always smiling. And I would argue today that the word miracle is losing its power in our culture. We don't tend to talk about it. People today would say, I believe in the miracle working power of God, but I just don't think it would happen for me. Or some people would say, you know, that stuff just happened a long time ago. It doesn't happen anymore. You know, and I want, I want to tell you this. For me, miracles have not lost their power at all. Okay, they still happen today. They still happen quite often. You just might not be as attuned to it as you think you ought to be. We've had three, I want you to count, three people that should have been like gone okay, that will walk into this service over the course of the next three hours or so, okay, that we're told you're going to die, you're not going to make it, you need a miracle. One, he was on COVID on life support for over like six months and needed a lung transplant in order to survive. Not only did he get the lung transplant when he shouldn't have, 
but he's surviving and doing better. We had a guy we were praying for in here. They're like, you don't qualify for a heart transplant. They took him all the way to Riley, and they're like, hey, you don't qualify. I'm sorry, you're going to go home, and that's pretty much it. One doctor came in and said, hey, why don't you try staying here a couple days? No explanation, but the doctor was a pretty smart guy. He realized that in order to get you know, that body part, his heart that he needed, that you had to be quarantined already, so he convinced him to stay in the hospital. And when the heart became available, he was the only one who had been quarantined. And so he received his heart. Yeah, Jeff, you'll see him. <laughs> like, he'll, he's, he's recovering. He's doing well. Those things don't happen on accident. You have Amy. You'll see Amy in her beautiful, smiling face here. Okay? She was on life support, basically. She was on a ventilator. They're like, it's not looking good. I'm talking to her mom and, and her husband, and they're like, this isn't going to happen. We need a miracle. And sure enough, we see that miracle. She was back in service a couple weeks ago. One of the first things she sent was a little video. One of our staff members, Paul, goes over there, and she's got a video. I can't wait to be back at church. And these are things when people go, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, here's what a miracle isn't. Some people think it's like a miracle when they get all the green lights on their way to somewhere. Okay? That is not a miracle. That just means you were speeding the whole time. You're like, it's yellow. I made it. Praise the Lord. You're like, I did it. Jesus is with me today. That's not a miracle. A miracle would be if you were trying to go to that same location and everybody in unison just pulled over and got out of your way so you could go straight there. That would be a miracle. Some things you do yourself. Other things are absolute miracles. You know, some people are in a situation right now. You might be in a situation right now where you are in need of a miracle, and you're like, I don't know how that's going to happen. Let me tell you something. Everybody wants a miracle. Nobody wants to be in a position where they need one. But let me tell you something. God still does them today. Outside of life change, when you give your heart to Jesus, which is the biggest miracle of all, that he takes you and transforms you literally with a prayer, Every miracle that you read about in the Bible will fall into one of three categories, possibly four, which we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking about the miracles of healing. We're going to be talking about it. If you need a physical healing or you know someone who does, we're going to pray for miracles. We're going to look at why God does miracles, why some people get healed and why others don't. It's not going to be creepy. I'm not coming up here like wheeling people up and knocking them out. That's not what we're doing. We're just praying. Your prayer has power. If not, what are you praying for? God is still in the miracle working business still. And Dave is going to be talking about in a couple of weeks the miracles of provision. We're also going to be talking about miracles of provision. Maybe you're hurting financially or otherwise, and you need God to step in miraculously. We're going to talk about those. But today we're going to talk about the miracles of deliverance. And everybody said, Oh, this is like, I don't know when I say the word deliverance, if like banjos goes off in your head, like you're like, oh, I don't even just like the word. Like, it's just horrible. It's like the dark, most least talked about, creepy, not even sure if it's real type of miracle. People are like, does this actually still happen today? 
Does God still deliver people today? Okay, and here is one of the things you need to understand. God performs miracles over the forces and the powers of darkness. His power overcomes the forces of demonic spirits. And you're like, why do we need to know all this? Because it's important. Christianity is not a playground. It's not just something you don't go to like a Christian playground when you come to church. You're in a spiritual war. Whether you know it or not, whether you're awakened to it or not, you're going to be awakened today to the idea. It's a battleground between the natural world and the unseen world. You're like, Daryl, I have no idea what you're talking about. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Mighty powers in the dark world, the unseen realm. There's a natural realm. Hey, you can see me. Then there's a spiritual realm where everything's happening. And there's a war going on. And we just sit here in the natural realm. Have you ever sat next to somebody who's absolutely clueless and the world was like blowing up around them? You ever seen the pink panther? Right? Some people are like spiritual pink panthers. Everything's just fine. They're like the whole world's blowing up around them. And they're like, oh, I'm good. I call Rick Kyle our pink panther. The whole world, everywhere I've traveled all over the world with him, and things are like falling apart behind him. And he's like, wasn't that awesome? And I'm like, dude, I just had to save like 12 people from dying because you're just eating cookies, staring off into the sunset. This is a true story. One time I was with Rick, and we're in the Dominican Republic, and there's a little girl. We're walking past, and there's a little girl with her head stuck in the rails like this. She's two years old. Obviously, she's been stuck there for a while. So me and several other people are concerned, and Rick is standing next to me. He's looking at it, and he's just observing the situation. And so I'm talking it through with some of these younger guys. I was like, let's climb up there. Let's figure out how to get this little girl out. I don't think her mom can hear her. She's obviously distressed. So while I'm working out this plan, all I can hear is crunching next to me. While I was working out the plan, Rick had gone and bought potato chips and came back to the scene. And I was like, what on, where did you get potato chips? He's like, I can't climb up there. I was no good, man. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes you're in the natural realm, and then sometimes you're in the supernatural realm. And one of the greatest things, okay, that the devil has ever done, all right, is convince people that he didn't exist, that it wasn't real. Sometimes we think that the greatest enemies we have are the people we see, like the people we fight with on Facebook or your crazy uncle or the person down the street, the person you're in like a private feud with. Those aren't your greatest enemies. According to Scripture, the biggest enemy you're ever going to face is the devil and his demons who are literally out to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's his whole goal from day one. Your greatest enemy is God's enemy. It's the devil. And his demonic army wants nothing more than to destroy God's children and your children. You're like, I don't like where all this is heading. 
It's all right. Buckle up. We'll be around for a bit. So people go off and they're like, well, I understand the devil. I get the concept, but I don't know what a demon is. Is is a demon like somebody, a spirit of the dead, like my crazy neighbor who died and he's, he's back, he's attacking people? Like I could see him being a demon. No, that's not how that happens. If you want to go, theologians will walk you through it. All right. In Isaiah chapter 14, it says Lucifer, the devil, another name for the devil, okay, makes five I will statements. He says, I will be like God. I will ascend to the highest place five different times. He says, I will be like God, and there will be no one like me. Lucifer wanted to be in God's place and wanted to be worshipped. This is out of Isaiah. So Lucifer is cast out by God, the one who created him, and said, hey, you can't take my place. So he cast him out, and it says that one-third of all the angels followed him and became demons. So they're not these random people who die and become demons. They're not like you see it in the movies. You knew them and then they're demons. No, that's not what happened. Okay? They were angels who followed Lucifer. And they became the demons. They became his armies. Okay? In Revelation chapter 12, scholars say that one-third of all the angels that were serving God became demons. One devil... Many demons. What an angel is to God, demons are to the devil. Does that make sense? Okay. What angels are to God, demons are to the devil. The two biggest mistakes that people make about the enemy is we overemphasize demonic activity sometimes or demonic influence. Sometimes we overemphasize it. There's a devil behind everything. Have you ever met somebody who like blames like, oh, I stub my toe the devil you know like every rock everything bad that happens in their life they're like the devil made me do it i'm like no the devil didn't make you do that you know you don't have any money because you don't have a job it wasn't the devil's fault okay well man i'm having a hard time paying my bills i was like you bought a lexus and you work at mcdonald's the math isn't there okay it's not a devil problem that's a you problem And sometimes we overemphasize it. We give him all this credit. You know, like you're spending money you don't have, then you're wondering where the money is. Okay? That's not a devil problem. That's a you problem. Not every problem is caused by demons. The demons made me speed down the highway. That's why I got a ticket on my way to work. No, your foot made you do that. You got up late. (laughs) You made choice. You got up late. You had to speed. You got caught. That's what happens. The devil didn't do it. In some places, we overemphasize demonic influences, blaming everything on the devil. In other instances, I would argue that we underemphasized demonic influence. Not every problem comes from the devil and demons, but many of them do and are caused by force of darkness. They're designed to come in. So I want to explain what demons do. Demons tempt you to sin. God never tempts you to sin. Demons do that. They're angelic beings. Say, how do they do this? Okay? Demons tempt you to get you away from the will of God. They want you to stop doing what God wants you to do. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says this, and they, demons, or people, we hope they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What does the devil want? He wants to take 
people away from God's will and have them do his will. Remember, his whole stirrup, the whole thing of the devil, he wants people to follow him instead of God. He's actively always doing this. This is an eternal battle. This is something that will go on forever. And they're going to tend to you. What's it like? When this happens, they'll talk to you. You're like, demons talk to you? Absolutely. Where do you think suicidal thoughts come from? You think you gave those to yourself? You think God gave those to you? Anything that wants to destroy you and speaks to you about destroying you is a demonic attack on your life. It's trying to get you to destroy the God-giving, life-giving part of you. They'll say things like they'll whisper in your ear and be like, you deserve that. Just go get it. Something you know you don't have. Even as young as a kid, do you remember sometimes you just have these inner conversations as a child? You're like, I deserve that cookie. And you're like, well, that can't. Yes, absolutely. At a young age, man, they're teaching and they want you to learn their voice. And you're like, no, that's not a bad thing. I'm going, no, it never starts off bad. Okay, I deserve that. I, I can watch anything. It blows my mind the things that people tell me they watch and then tell me that they're struggling spiritually. Look, I don't watch anything with clowns dragging kids into sewers and killing them. It's just me. Call me crazy, but I don't think Jesus is up there going, yeah, that's not a bad problem. Yeah, go ahead, watch it. Like, look, let me tell you, if you're that bad of a parent that you haven't warned your kid about a clown in a sewer, okay, I'm never going to be able to help you. Kid doesn't need to go near the sewer, especially sticking his head in to grab a balloon from the clown. All right? Watch it. He would tempt you to touch it, do things that you're not supposed to do. When I taught young people this, man, I used to teach young men all the time, and I'll teach you adults because some of you are doing this. Don't touch what doesn't belong to you. Let me rephrase it the way I would tell kids when they were younger. Don't touch somebody else's wife. You're like, what? I was like, they're not your wife yet, so you don't get to touch it until it becomes yours. Would you want somebody else touching your wife? No. No. So don't touch somebody else's. It's a simple thing. They would drink, drink it, just do it, just hang loose. It's not that big a deal. Look, every addiction starts with not that big a deal. That's where they all start. I've never met an addict who became an addict overnight. I met one who was like, well, I just started doing this, and then it did this, and that's why it's called a gateway. And the demons are right there whispering you, you won't get caught. It's not that big a deal. Everyone's doing it. Just take it. Inject that in your arm. It can't be that bad, right? It can't really hurt you that much. Absolutely it can. Those are the whispers coming into your ears. And here's what happens. At first, demons minimize the sin that they're talking to you about. First, they minimize it. That's not that big a deal. God will forgive you anyway. You ever heard that in your own head? You're like, you can do that. God will forgive you. Just go ahead and cuss out your neighbor. It's not that big a deal. I have felt like doing that. It's not that big a deal. It's no one else's business. I did it in private. No one will ever know. It's not hurting anybody. 
More guys are trapped in sexual sin today than have ever been, and they think they're not hurting anybody. It destroys your marriage like this. You're like, yeah, but nobody knows. That's the problem. If it wasn't that bad, you could tell anybody. Look, I make a habit out of not doing anything that I wouldn't play for you in here. So the whole idea, the whole concept that you, it won't bother you. And so what demons do is they minimize it on the front side. You can do it. You'll get away with it. It's not that big a deal. Then on the back side, after you've done it, they maximize the guilt side. They see things like God will never forgive you for what you just did. You've ruined it. You're never going to do it. You're never going to be enough. And the shame game, and they do this to communicate you and to trap you over and over again. The shame game, you know how many people actually believe that God will forgive them after they've messed up? Hardly anybody. They always believe it on the front side. But the shame game is so powerful, especially among men, the shame game is so powerful that they don't forgive themselves, and they certainly don't believe that God can forgive them. Why? Because they got a little demon just telling them over and over again, you can never be forgiven for that. God will never forgive you. Second thing demons do is they distract you from God's will. Paul again told Timothy in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The Spirit clearly says, in later times some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Unfortunately, some of you might know somebody like this. Once they were walking with God, now they want nothing to do with God. You grew up going to youth group with them. You grew up going to church with them, and now they don't want anything to do with Jesus. One of the biggest lies that the devil has people believe in, demons are just feeding into our culture, is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. What a great distraction that would be. Or they say things like, all roads lead to God. That's not scriptural. That's not in the Bible. It's nowhere there. And why do we hear those? Because demons want to distract you, pull you away from God's will. So what happens? People take a little Buddha, a little New Age. They mix it up with a little bit of witchcraft, and they have their own identity in Jesus. They say crazy things like, I don't need to go to church. How many of you have met somebody you're like, I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to church? Well, the whole point of going to church, when people say that, when they're like, I don't need to go to church, the reason the devil doesn't want you to go to church is because it builds your faith. It makes you stronger. If he can alienate you, keep you away, it'd be like telling your family, I'm a part of this family, but I never need to talk to you again. It doesn't make any sense. If your children came to you at 18, they're saying, thank you very much. I'll take it from here. You're like, uh, are we not a part of this? No, no, you brought me far enough. That's what's happening in churches all across America because people are believing a lie. The demons are going, you don't need a church. You don't need to get stronger. You don't need community. You don't need to hang out with other believers. They isolate you. And then you start listening to all these crazy people around everywhere, man. There are so many crazy preachers right now, I can't even figure out good ones. 
They're saying things that aren't even in the Bible. They're starting to accept everything. And I'm like, we can't go down those roads. And we get to talking to ourselves and start saying things, well, as long as they're a good person. Good people may not make it to heaven. That's sad. Yes, it's not, it's not my desire, but that's the way the Bible reads. Not all roads lead to Jesus. You can't get there through Buddha or all those other things. It's not happening. They're going to tempt you. They're going to lure you in. And finally, demons inflict suffering. There's a tragic story in the Bible about a father and son. And the son is physically afflicted by demonic forces. And it's in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 17. It says this. This is the father speaking. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into a fire or into water. Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Jesus said, bring the boy to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon out of the boy. Now, you might know somebody who has seizures, but look what this demon was trying to do to this child. It was trying to throw him into a fire. It was trying to throw him into a water. Why? To destroy his life. They can bring about suffering. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and the boy was healed in that moment. Here's what we know about Jesus. This is where you take hope. You're like, man, we've been talking a lot about demons, but here's the great part about Jesus. This is what we already know. Okay, We know that Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. We know that Jesus came to set the captives free. We know that Jesus did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. We know that Jesus came not for the healthy, but he came for the sick. Jesus did not come to self-proclaim righteousness, but Jesus came for the sinners. He came to set people free. We know that's Jesus' mission, so what's Satan's mission? In John's Gospel, chapter 10, it says Satan's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole aim. That's what he wants for you. It's not a game. Some people picture the devil. He's like this little guy with a pitchfork. No, this is a guy who stood up to God himself. He's got a lot of nerve. He's not afraid. If you think you're like, some of you are like, well, the devil's afraid of me. He's not afraid of you. He's afraid of Jesus in you. He's never going to be afraid of you. He's afraid of the power in you. And I'm going to explain the difference here in a second. Okay. Demons want to destroy marriages. They want to bring about depression. More people are on medication today than in any other time. Okay, if you add up from 1980 until 2015, in the last five years, more people have taken depression medication than that entire previous time. Why? Because he's getting to the culture. The demons are just pushing their way, telling people, you're not worthy, you're not good. They're destroying marriages, ruining testimony, wrecking finances, stealing joy, obliterating people's health crushing your children, blinding people to the truth of God. There are people that actually believe that it is better for them to teach your children 
than it is for you to teach your own children, your values, your beliefs, what you stand for. We're getting to a place where people are going to be offended at the very notion of God. And who do you think's behind that? You think there's just some clown going, hey, I've been dreaming this up the whole time. No, this is the devil's aim. And when people just let it go and they treat it lightly and they're like, everything's okay, no big deal, this is what happens. The force of darkness hates God so much that it's trying to destroy the light. So what do we do? Anybody thoroughly creeped out yet? Anybody thoroughly depressed yet? You're like, ah, oh, that's normally the funny one, right? He's bringing in the devil today. I don't like this. I'm going to come back next week when he's talking about something happy. Should we be afraid? Do we need to be on our guard? Yes and no. Yes and no, and I'm going to explain here. You have to understand that you have miraculous authority over darkness in the name of Jesus if you are in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. You have authority. Authority. I didn't say power. I said authority over darkness in the name of Jesus if you are in Christ Jesus. Here's where we find that, okay? Matthew chapter 10, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them, say it with me, the authority. Say authority. Did he give them power? He gave them authority, okay, to drive out impure thoughts and to heal every disease and sickness. Here's the difference. I'm going to give you an illustration between authority and power because some people run around chasing people that have the illusion of power. That's where you see the preachers calling everybody up on stage and they're like, yeah, kicking people down and you're chasing man's power. He has no power. He only has authority, right? So authority is different. So let me explain to you. Uh, I love going on cruises. I've been on like 22 of them. I'm kind of like a cruise ship junkie. I love free food. I love eating all day and minimal movement on my part. <laughs> so it kind of all works out in my favor. I go to different islands. I eat all day and I get to see them and I don't really have to do anything. So imagine some of these cruise ships are two times the size of an aircraft carrier. So imagine if you've ever been on one of these cruise ships, and I've been on 22, so I can tell you what happens. When they're leaving port, they have this little boat that's like probably 30 feet long, and it's called the pilot. And it says United States Coast Guard on the side. That pilot comes next to the boat and tells the big boat what to do the whole way out. You follow this instruction. Now, in the real world, if that boat were just sailing out in the middle and put its arm out and was like, stop, the huge boat could run him over and sink him in seconds. But the problem is it's not that who has the most power, it's who has the most authority. There's a big difference there because the big boat's got the most power. But the little boat has the biggest authority behind them. So the big boat knows if I mess with the little boat, I'm going to be going against a big navy. That would be the problem. 
because you might not have power, but your little Jesus badge gives you authority over demons, right? So there's a difference. You don't have to have the power in yourself. Jesus has the power, and you have the authority to tell the things through Jesus to walk away. Get off my family. Don't do this. That's the difference between power and authority. I don't come in my name. I don't come over to Adam and go, you're healed in Daryl's name. I don't pray in my name. I pray in Jesus' name and say, Adam, you're healed in Jesus' name. Why? Because I have no power, but I have tons of authority given to me by my Father in heaven. You have that same authority. When you have that authority, you have to realize that nothing can stop you. No demonic oppression, no demon, no devil can stand against you. When you do it in Jesus' name. So you have to understand this. Uh, I was on a mission trip. I think it was 2002. Brenda and Omar Castillo. In the middle of Nicaragua. It was the first time I had ever experienced anything with like demonic type stuff. And so they're like, hey, uh, after this service you just preached, uh, we're going to go pray. This woman says she has a demon that lives with her. I was like, excuse me? Uh, I just preached really good about Jesus over here. I'm really tired. I was hoping for dinner, not demons. He's like, no, we'll just go over there. Like, it was nothing. Like, he's like, yeah, we'll just go over there. She's got a demon there. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. You know, because I'm the guy, I don't even sing parts of the song because this is how real I believe God is. I don't sing parts of the song that's like, show me your face. I don't want Jesus showing up in the middle of the night. I don't sing those parts. I'm like, mm -mm, that's for somebody else. Jesus, don't surprise visit me. I'll die. I'm not like those other holy people. I'll just up and die on you. So don't surprise visit me at any point. So here's what we do. We go down into this little shack. Okay, and this woman's like, they're in, it's in the back room. So I'm thinking like, I'm going to see like an exorcism type thing happen here. I'm like waiting, you know, and I hear like rumbling, so I'm freaked out. So I go in the room, and there's a human being laying on that bed, just staring straight at the ceiling. I'm like, okay. And all I did is I walk into the room, and that person whipped its head over to me and said, who are you? I'm like, uh, nobody. <laughs> I've never been here. I'm from America. Here's my passport. Like, I don't know what to do. I... I you know, and I'm like powerless. And here comes this preacher. His name is Omar. He's been in Nicaragua his whole life, and he has been doing this demon thing forever. He walks in like it is nothing. He is like 30 feet behind me. I am freaked out, okay, because this person's head's about to spin off their body. They've asked me in English, what is your name? I was like, does he speak English? He's like, no. I was like, well, something speaks English in there. And here comes Omar, not even phased. He comes around the corner. He's a little chubbier guy. Says, and in nombre de Jesus. And that person just like starts like convulsing. And I'm like, whoa, what is going on? I need to leave. Because I've read the Bible. These things jump out of people into other people. 
So here's what happens. He says, in the name of Jesus, and he just walks over, and he's like, come out, and he puts his hand on and starts walking away. He's like, let's go. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And that person just throws up behind me. That 19-year-old kid had been in that bed for a year and a half. Hadn't moved. Feces covered. Hadn't moved from that bed. The mom would spoon feed him. And he gets up with the biggest smile on, my, on his face. And he goes, who are you? I'm like, you want to talk to Omar. He, he, knows, he knows who we are. I don't know who we are right now. But he does. He knows. Oh, he knows. He knows the big J-E. He knows Jesus. And that was the first time, man, it was incredible seeing that because it was the first time I had ever put the two and two together. The authority of God and how fragile I would be in that situation. Why? Because I was afraid in that moment. Ryan, if you'll come join me, I'm going to close with this. It's hard enough to be thinking about demons just trying to get through a normal day, man. Some of you are just like, Daryl, don't talk to me about demons, man. I've got to go to work for one tomorrow. Put your hand on his forehead. <laughs> Worked once. You might get fired, but it'll be a good story. Well, that person's nuts. Here's what I want you to understand. Those two things, working with Jesus, requires two things. It requires the natural and supernatural. It's not one or the other. That's why some of these people, men, I wish I could just get on TV and be like, don't buy something crazy from a preacher who prayed over it. Don't, don't waste your money. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about a person's prayer because that person doesn't have any power. God inside of you, inside of you, every person in here, inside of you, you have the authority. And the best person to claim authority over their own life is you. I can pray with you, but I can't pray for you. You have authority in the name of Jesus, and you, you have to work the natural and the supernatural together. So what does that mean? That means if you are depressed, get help, but pray like your life depends on it for once. That doesn't mean, you know, like if you need, if you've got a tumor, it doesn't mean like come to church and never go see a doctor. That's not what I'm talking about. Do what you can in the natural world. Go to the doctor, listen to them, do what they tell you, but also be praying, believing that God's going to do the miraculous. You're like, Daryl, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. Back when I wrote down what we were getting ready to do for this sermon, it was June 2nd, something crazy like that. And I wrote down healing for the 19th. Healing is what we're going to talk about. Not knowing that June 4th or 5th, my son, my 13-year-old son would come home from a doctor's visit and be told that he has to have brain surgery on July 26th. See, in the natural realm, I'm listening to the doctor and I'm going. He's going to have that surgery. But in the spiritual realm, there is nobody praying harder for him than his mom and dad. 
Why? Because we fight both at the same time. What the devil meant for bad, God is going to turn it into a testimony for my son. He might be scared, but God has a purpose, a plan for him. And you're like, why would that happen? Because it happens. And our job is to trust and claim authority and pray as if everything depends on us knowing that it doesn't. Some of you are going through suicidal thoughts and you haven't thought once about praying. Do in the natural realm. Talk to somebody. Talk to one of us. I would love to talk to you. I'll go have lunch with you. I'll hang out with you. You might be more suicidal when I'm done with you, but I can help. But you've got to pray as well. Some of you, you're like, the devil would never attack me. That's the first thing he wants you to believe, that you are so insignificant that he glosses over you. That is the number one lie to believe about yourself, that you're not worth the enemy's time. You are a child of God. You disgust the devil. Here's the great part. Anytime Jesus shows up on the scene, he's the light of the world. Right? That's what he calls himself. Darkness is not the opposite of light. It's the absence of light. It's not the opposite. It's not like there is no, it's the absence of light. That means anytime you walk into a room with a demon, there's already light there. Because you're there. And you have your own authority in the name of Jesus to start pushing back things. Stop letting, maybe you have rebellious kids, man. Take away their phone, pray for them. Maybe your kids have walked away from Jesus. Pray for them. Speak to them. Claim them back. Be like, I don't want the devil speaking to them. My kids have walked away from the Bible. Claim them back in Jesus' name. You have authority over demons. Don't just let them push you around. Take the authority. You might not have power, but you have plenty of authority to step back and go, you know what? I'm not dealing with this anymore. Why? Because I promise you, if you're the little ship in the story that I shared, you're the little ship. You've got a big chip on your shoulder when you realize who's behind you. And some of you forget how big the God is that you serve. You think he doesn't care about the little things. He doesn't care about the nooks and crannies in your life, and he does. And he wants to deliver you out of them. When we're talking about deliverance, that means you don't have to be stuck with a pornography problem. You don't have to be stuck in depression. You don't have to be stuck in a terrible marriage. You can pray through these things and get help in the natural and the supernatural. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to be by yourself. You can do these things with every head bowed and nobody looking around. We've got a team of people that want to pray for people today. Man, maybe that's you. I was 20 years old and already a pastor when I tried to take my life. I thought I was worthless. I thought nobody cared. Maybe you're going through anxiety. You're going through that stuff. You're like, you're going through it alone. No, you're not. You're talking to a guy who takes pills just to talk to people. I picked the wrong profession.
Whatever you're going through, God wants to deliver you and use you. And it's going to happen both in the natural and the supernatural. Maybe you're sitting here today and going, Daryl, I need hope. I need God to restore hope. I need God to give me an uplift. I need a push forward. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can pray for you right now? Thank you. Thank you. Anywhere else? You can raise your hand and put it right back down. You need hope. You're tired of going through. Maybe you need a financial miracle. Maybe you're just rough going. Your marriage is in the fritz and you're like, I don't know if this is going to make it. Let me pray for you. Let's believe God together. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. God, those who prayed and said, those who raised their hand and said they needed hope, I pray that you deliver them right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we take power and authority in the name of Jesus. God, we don't do it in our own power. We don't do it without wisdom. We do it in the natural, what we can. But we know that in you lies the biggest authority, the biggest army, the biggest hope, the biggest strength. God, you can overcome addictions. You can overcome marriage problems. You can overcome porn addictions. You can overcome all these things in Jesus' name. I pray against every demonic spirit that wants to get your children and lead them astray. I pray against every demonic spirit that wants to financially bankrupt you, that wants to take you down the wrong path, that wants to ruin your marriage. I pray against all those things. Not in my power, not in your power, but in the power of Jesus, we pray. And every person said, Amen. Amen. This is what I want you to do. If you raised your hand a moment ago and you really mean business, right outside the doors to your right, if you need hope, man, I'm going to be there. We have staff members. We want to pray for you. We physically want to pray for you. Look, I know what it's like to be without hope, man. Being suicidal was the worst days of my life. Having to take medication almost every day just to wake up is tough. But you know what? I don't do it in my authority. I don't get up every day and go, this is Daryl's plan. No, no, this is God's plan. I don't do it in my name. I do it in Jesus' name. We want to pray for you this morning. We believe this so much. Next week, we're going to be talking about healing. I promise you, I'm not going to freak your friends out. I'm not going to bring them up, throw them out of wheelchairs. I'm not going to do anything. Man, but if they've been praying for something, I believe and still believe that we serve a God who does heal still today. And if you don't believe that, man, what are you doing? Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. I'm going to be the one guy that they found dead in a praying position. He went out the same way he came in. He was praying to the end. Why? Because I believe that God heals and still wants to be the great healer, the great physician in your life. Man, if you're a first-time guest, I hope we didn't freak you out. Demons are not going to follow you home. Okay, we're not going to come over and do anything weird. We'd love to meet you at the Welcome Center. Come back next week, guys. God bless you for Wind Pigs Fly Part 2.